I'm, I was thinking back, and I think it must have been the summer of 1989. You guys remember that? Um, that Taylor Swift album, I think? I don't know. Um, and, uh, but, but I was a kid. I was at my cousin's house, and I love my cousin's house. This dude had the coolest house, man. They, they lived out in the country, and they had everything, at least in my little mind. I was just a little kid. Uh, I, I, in my little mind, it was amazing because they had a swimming pool. Oh, that swimming pool was one of the above ground deals, which to me was even cooler. I've learned, like, that's the cheaper way to go. But, like, that was good. Like, this is not even in the ground, man. Thing just is, they had a, the dock, the deck around it. They had a clubhouse. We would go in 120 degrees in there, but we'd be playing Army Man and all kind of stuff. Love being out there. I remember, I think they had a go-kart. Remember back when everybody had go-karts? Back in those days, like, there was a thing. I don't see as many go-karts anymore. It was really cool. But, but something happened to me that summer that it, it really kind of shifted something in my heart. It happened when I went into the house. And I remember going into my cousin's room and seeing the most Nintendo games I'd ever seen in my life. In fact, to this day, I think my cousin Clint had the most Nintendo games of anybody that I ever knew. He had more than you. Don't worry about it. Okay, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I was blown away. I was just like, oh my goodness, this is so many Nintendo games. It was like a stack of them. His dad had built this cool little rack where the little cartridges slid in. Sorry, you guys that were born in the last 20 years. It was, it was a big vibe, okay? But so we got in there and like, he even had, you got, I'm only speaking to a small demographic, so if you're too old or too young, I'm sorry, but do you guys remember the gold Zelda game? Oh my God, you could see your reflection in that thing, okay? It was, I was like, what, I always wanted that one. And like, he even had Zelda 2, he had uh, Tech Mobile, he had Contra, he had, he had this one game, um, Airwolf, it was like a helicopter, you could fly around. It was so cool and I was so jealous. I was like, I want to, you know what we had in my house? Mario 1. I mean, let's not sell it short, it was also... Duck Hunt. It was also Duck Hunt. Two games in one. One cartridge. You just blow the dust out and it works sometimes. I loved it, but I wanted more Nintendo games. And, and thinking back, and I remember, like, I think this is when it bit me. That green-eyed monster. Envy. Jealousy. Wishing I had something that I didn't have. How old were you? Where were you? Think back. Where was the moment you were like, you realize there's some things I don't have and I really want them. I would fight somebody for that. Like, you know, like, wh where were you when you realized that? Maybe it's still going on now. Now, listen, uh, for my cousin, it didn't lead to a lot of problems. Probably some good parenting went on there, and my parents probably taught me things like, life's not fair, by the way, some parents of young kids. That's like one of the number one lessons you need to teach your kids, okay? Life's not fair. It's not going to always be exactly like you want it to. But the reality about jealousy is that it bites us in some really bad ways. Um, people, because of a jealous heart, will ruin relationships. People, because of a jealous heart, will, will commit crimes. People are dead because someone else was jealous, right? So this is a really, really big issue. Most of us probably wouldn't commit premeditated crimes because of video games. <laughs> but you might be willing to kill a relationship over it. You might be willing to hurt somebody else, and, and it has definitely gotten inside of you at some point in your life. Guys, we're in this teaching series called Unmasking Our Monsters. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about like these, these emotions or these vices that kind of get in us, and they control us, and they kind of get the joysticks of our life, and they can ruin us. And so we've talked about guilt. We've talked about anger. And today I want to unmask a monster that is also common and one that we just kind of give a pass to. The monster is jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is a big big problem. And, um, you know, I think we generally think that we want to be happy for people 
and that we aren't like blaming them for stuff. Uh, there, there's this thing throughout this series that we learned, and I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, a, a brilliant thinker, a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a preacher down in Georgia. He's written a bunch of books. He wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart once and years ago, and he talks about these different emotions, and he says that each of these things have what he calls a debt-to-debtor relationship. It's a debt-to-debtor stimulus. And so there's some sort of debt involved that stimulates these emotions in us. And this debt-to-debtor relationship, for example, in guilt, the debt-to-debtor relationship says, I owe you. I messed up, I owe you, right? And so how do you deal with that? And he offered the solution is that through confession. We can say, listen, I can deal with what I owe you by talking about it, get in and out. So we talked about that the first week. Last week, maybe you need to go back and listen to it again. It was about anger. I got to tell you, like, every now and then, like, I don't want empty compliments on sermons. I, I love the high fives. I love the stuff. But when something hits a nerve, I can tell because I'll get more people talking to me about it during the, previous, the week. And, like, apparently you guys got in- anger issues. And so <laughs> that's great. I'm glad we talked about it. The debt-to-debt relationship for anger says, you owe me. You owe me. You messed up. You owe me. And so the way we get rid of that is through forgiveness. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go, right? So that's the debt-to-debt relationship. This was surprising. It's one that's not as intuitive, and it's one that you might not even, like, when I say it, you might be like, I I don't think so. I don't think so. But this is the debt-to-debt relationship for jealousy. Jealousy says, God, yes, God owes me. God owes me. You might not articulate it that way, but, but think about it. I mean, what God did for someone else, he gave her that size three waist, and oh my goodness, I see what she eats. She never works out. Ah! Dwayne The Rock Johnson's got biceps bigger than my legceps, and if I could just get like 1% of that, I'd be all right. And I'm looking at these guys, and I'm like, God, God, if you made them like that, why can't you make me like that? Why can't you make me smarter? Why can't you make me more successful? Why can't you make me happier? Why can't you make me this and this and this and this? And, and we have these phrases where we, we try to, like, write it off. We're like, it's okay. It's all good. We say, well, that's just how the cookie crumbles. These are the, these are the cards I was dealt. But who do you believe is baking the cookies? Who do you believe is dealing the cards? And so if you're a believer in a God who created you, then when you get jealous about the world in the way that it is not for you, at your core, what you're saying is, God, you owe me. I'm not happy about this. That's something to wrestle with, something to chew on. You don't, that's not in the Bible. That's something Andy Stanley said. But I, I have found it the more that I think about it, it's, it's probably true. Let that spin in your brain for a little while while we talk some more. Because jealousy makes us do some twisted things. Uh, if you've ever been watching a football game, I'm a big NFL fan, go Cowboys, it's been a rough couple of weeks, we're coming back, this is our year. <laughs> I don't know, am I get a new quarterback? I don't know what's happening. It's just... <laughs> but like, if you've ever been watching a game and like your, your team's playing the team that you hate the most and like their star player gets injured and you're like, yeah, yeah, shame on you, you're a bad person. <laughs> that person can't walk anymore, like he's going to not sleep for three days, his kid, like he might lose his job over it, right? So like we have these brief moments of like, yeah, we celebrate other people's pain and like maybe you're like come on I don't do that this is a serious thing it's a spiritual discipline for me and you can ask my kids I very often pray for like football players to get hurt like we have family prayer like every night and sometimes when when Aaron Rodgers went down I was like Lord be with Aaron like it's hard and like you don't have to know Aaron but these are real people right but we do this in our everyday life it's when you hop on your social media and you see that your your ex from college you know the one that ruined your sophomore year you know that one 
Yeah, and then like they had a bad breakup, and you're like, yes. <laughs> a little fist bump. Like, not big celebration. You're not throwing a party. You want anybody else to know. But deep down inside, you're like, yes. Or like those people who have all kinds of money and all kinds of stuff that you don't have, and just to, to have the moment where you hear them talking about how things are tough, and you're like, yeah, yeah, now you know how the rest of us feel. And, and you might not be celebrating, but like deep in your heart, you're just kind of, it's kind of this twisted thing that you do when, you're, when your sister-in-law who wears that size three and you see that she had to take them to Goodwill because she just don't button anymore. You're like, yeah, mm. is that right? That's, that's tough, huh, huh, it's bad. And like, it's natural, right? It's natural because we just, we compete and we, we want to be and we want to do, but the problem is as long as jealousy rages in our soul, no relationship that you have is safe. Because we start to value the way we wish things were more than we value the people in our life. And I think in this series, one thing I've noted is I've had to check myself on it, and I've talked to a lot of you guys about it, is like when we look at these big things, we always compare ourselves to like Adolf Hitler. As long as we're not doing that bad, we're fine. But when we're real introspective and we take the time to really evaluate my heart, these, these monsters that we're unmasking, we can realize like, okay, there's room to grow. There's an area where I could make relationships stronger. There's an area where I could serve people differently and I could do good. So we always want to get into the Bible for God's most important truth. And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to be in the book of James. James, near the end of our New Testament. Grab your Bible. I want to always encourage you to bring a paper Bible to church. If you got one, we got free ones in the lobby at the shelf by the door. You can go now and take one, bring it back. It can be yours if you want to keep it or just borrow it for the service and put it back. You can always borrow a Bible or you can always have it if you need it. We want to give away Bibles. Or look it up on your phone. It should be on the screen. Uh, beside me here as well, but uh, we're in the book of James. James is a hero of mine. The reason James is a hero of mine is because, this James is a hero of mine too, I love you, but the James from the Bible is a hero of mine uh, because uh, the guy, he's a guy who many people have come to faith in Jesus because of James, because James was a skeptic. James was a guy, uh, does anybody know who his half-brother was? Jesus. Yeah, so uh, Jesus was his half-brother, and if your brother started being like, hey, uh, like I'm doing these miracles, and like thousands of people were following him, and people were saying, your brother's the Messiah. I mean, if you grew up with your brother, you might be like, I, I don't know if I can believe that. Like, that's hard to swallow. But then Jesus begins to do all these things. James begins to see all these things. And even in his skepticism, he comes to faith in his own brother and ends up being like the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. It's, it's a pretty big deal. And so a lot of people, as they're looking for, like, reasons to believe in Jesus, they, they learn more about the story of James, and that's like a reason that they tend to believe. Another reason that I got to respect James is because, like, I don't know if you've ever, like, been in the shadow of an older sibling. Imagine if your big brother was Jesus. Why can't you walk on water, James? You know, like, hey, we're out of bread. Make some more. Like, call Jesus. And so he writes this passage. We're in James chapter 4. James is like a wisdom literature book. So there's all these nuggets of just, boom, truth bombs, wisdom bombs. And in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we're only going to read the first half of verse 1. We're going to trickle through this passage. Um, he's going to get into some questions that deal with our monster, jealousy. And he asks a question. Let's just start. James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, so what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes that? And for many of us, we might need to be like, which fight? <laughs> Which quarrel, you know? And then you look at the big picture, international stuff, big things. We are a quarrelsome, disagreeable people. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Second half, don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Check this out. When we find ourselves in an argument, a quarrel, 
he's going to get into kind of some jealousy stuff, but this is all from the same like root situation. When we get into this mess, where does it come from? And you know where we often, this is from anger, this is from last week, you know where we often want to say it's coming from? You. It's you. That's your problem. That's your fault. It's them, right? It's the other people. But what James says is it comes from inside you. Granted, sometimes you're an innocent bystander and someone just blows up on you. But what do you do with that? So I've got this image I want to give you. It's like a Imagine a cup. You ever had a glass that was just really, really full of your water, your soda? I, I drink black coffee, so when I go to coffee houses a lot, what do they ask you when you order your coffee? Would you like room? And I'm like, yes, I would like, I mean, no, I wouldn't like any room. That means I want it black. But some baristas don't understand that you still need to walk with the cup. And so you know that scientific marvel where you can fill a cup up so much that it makes like a dome on top of the cup? Like, I feel like some baristas are just trying to see how good balance you So you, you walk, and if you've ever walked with a really tall cup, uh, you almost always will spill some, right? This fluid in this cup is a lot of the representation of the brokenness, the dissatisfaction, the evil sometimes, all this inside of us. And what happens is when we get too full of that stuff, it starts to slosh around. And do you know who we tend to hurt the most? The people that we claim to love the most. I mean, your spouse, your kids or your parents, or your siblings, your co-workers, your neighbors, the people you see the most. And you know why? Proximity. Because if I'm walking with Brent with a full cup of coffee, who's most likely going to get coffee on him other than me? Maybe Brent, because he's near me. And so when our mess starts to slosh out, so let's read this passage again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Just picture those, picture those desires just sloshing out, just getting on people, getting on their shoes, getting on their hands getting on their pants. So what is an internal struggle becomes an outside problem. And in verse 2 he says, this is why it's a problem. He says, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. He said the, 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 the root problem of this slushing of the mess is that you're not getting what you want. And this is where it really starts to step on our toes and starts to be a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe you haven't gone as far as to actually kill someone. Have you? <laughs> if you have, stop doing that. Turn yourself in. But like, you will kill a relationship. You will hurt someone's feeling. You will shut yourself off or you will do some other dishonorable not God-honoring thing in your life because life isn't the way you want it, so you want to begin to fabricate it. I, I really like this theory that says that actually the root cause of all sin is coveting. He uses the word covet. Did you see that? Instead of jealousy. Um, and coveting is a, is a more biblical word. I think it's like a, a stronger word. It's this overwhelming desire to have something that you're willing to do anything to get it. Like, I'll do anything to get this. It's beyond just desire. It's like... I don't care what gets in my way. I'm going to do this. And so we do, like, at the root of, I think, every sin, this is the theory about sin, but that at the root of every sin is coveting. Because why would you steal if not because you wanted it so bad that you're willing to, like, take something that's not yours? Why would you lie except for the fact that you would, you would rather, like, you, it doesn't matter how the world is. I want to tell the narrative the way that I, that I make it, right? I want to lie. I want to tell a story. Why would you get caught up in something like adultery or pornography? Isn't lust basically just coveting? 
And so like these sins, and so this is a theory, but man, like it's, a, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and I think it's the root of just about anything we do to dishonor God, and, and, and the, what is sin? Sin is me saying, God, uh, I want control of my life even if it goes against what you want. And so even the coveting of his power, his authority in our life, I, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do this. Addiction is like that. I don't care what it's going to do the rest of my life. I'm just, I want it so bad. I'd be willing to throw away my family. I'd be willing to throw away my job, my reputation. I don't care. He says, you covet. But you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. And, and there's like a lot of angles we could take to this. And I mean, this is a talk about jealousy. Um, but you could apply this over anger. You could apply this over greed. You could apply it. I want to take a second to speak about something that's happening in our world right now. I, I don't generally do this all the time. Uh, but I look at the world situations we have, like in the Ukraine and Russia, or in, in Israel, and I guess the Palestinians, the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, and I, I look at that stuff, and we, we spend a lot of time trying to choose what side we should pull for, like it's a football team. But the reality is that on both sides of any of those things are real-life people whose lives are being ruined. And isn't at the heart of that... At some level, coveting, jealousy. That's what, that's what we become when we don't get this little monster under control. And James has a simple, a profound and simple, but like super hard to swallow. This is his like prescription for this, all of this. The sloshing, the uh, jealousy, all the mess. The, the, verse, uh, verse 2, the second half. So James chapter 4, verse 2. The second half, he says, you, know, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. Normally, uh, we like to burden other people with the things that we don't have. We like to complain about it. We like to ask for help sometimes. And, and it's not all bad. But if God is our maker and he's our provider, James proposes this thing. Have you talked to God about it? James says, bring it to God. So, like, this solution, I'm not, I'm not going to say that the solution to jealousy is prayer, but we're going to take a little time out here and step to the side and talk about prayer. And this isn't like a whole sermon on prayer. We can talk about a lot of different things with prayer. But, but pray about it. Pray about it. What is it that you just aren't happy about? Is it the video games? <laughs> talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. Ask him to change that for you. Jesus says himself, he's like, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He's like, you don't have, your father is a good father and he will give you good gifts. That's not entirely what James is talking about here. He's actually telling us something much greater. James is showing us that we can take our deepest desires and even our unmet needs to God. Like even when you don't get all the things that you wish that you had or that you perceive that you need. And to go to God and say, God, I'm just frustrated about that. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and that we will find grace to help us in our time of need. It's this like invitation with confidence. Go to God. If jealousy says, God owes me, God says, okay, tell me about that. Tell me about why I owe you. Tell me about why you're dissatisfied and you're not happy. And when you do that, once you admit that the root problem is like, I'm not getting my way. <laughs> I'm not getting my way. I'm not happy about that. Once you've thoroughly and completely dumped all your distress and your desires and your anxiety onto him, something awesome happens, okay? 
No, it's not that you get everything that you want. That's not the awesome thing that happens. The awesome thing that happens is that you'll find it so much easier to deal with the people in your life. You don't see that coming, did you? But when we begin, God says, look, my cup is huge, okay? And if your cup is sloshing, just dump it in here. Dump it in here. I can handle it. In fact, I already have. I've already taken on all your pain and all your guilt and all your sin and all your dissatisfaction and all your weariness. I said, bring it to me. My cup is huge. Pour it in. That's only half the solution. Okay, granted, you still haven't dealt with, like, the thing that you wish you had or the jealousy that you're dealing with. But what what you're not doing is you're not sloshing on your neighbor anymore. You're not pouring it out all over your kids because you got a a temper thing and you can't handle it. And again, this, this principle can be applied to a lot of the vices in our life, not just jealousy. He says, bring it to me. Tell me about it. I want to know. And you'll find peace because you're no longer relying on other humans to satisfy you and physical stuff to satisfy you. The biggest problem with jealousy is that we are putting our, like, our desire to be filled we put that, the burden of that on the stuff that we want, whether it's a physical thing or a reputation. Or, and nothing in this world has the power to fill us. Nothing. Man, look at verse 3. Let's just keep looking at this. James chapter 4, verse 3. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James tells us, take your desires to God. That's awesome. But then he says, God might say no. <laughs> it might not happen. And man, isn't it great that God doesn't give us everything we ask for? Can you imagine how many ponies there would be in Wilmington <laughs> if every little girl who wanted a pony got a pony? Like, we just don't have enough room for all these ponies, right? So it's so true. That God, God knows better that what we can handle than what we, than what we do. And on a more practical level, like, I, I take myself back to, like, elementary school. And I remember there was this little girl in elementary school uh, that I had such a big crush on her. I mean, I was in love with her. She was the best. She was, oh, she was so, so, you know, beautiful. And I just felt like she, and, and, but I don't know if she knew that I existed. So I would pray about it. I was like, God, you know, if only this little girl would know me and we, we, we could be friends and maybe we could play on the playground. Like, I don't know what I was praying for exactly. Here's the thing. I am so pumped that God didn't answer that prayer. <laughs> I did not marry her. That's not a trick. Uh, it was not Lindsay. I have been happily married to Lindsay for over 20 years, okay? And you know what? That girl's been married to some other dude for a long time, too, and I think they're pretty happy. And I'm, I'm pretty glad that God didn't answer that prayer because he knew something about me and probably and definitely something about her. And, like, what are we praying for? What are we asking for? And if we ask with the wrong motives, God's like, hey, look, man, okay, I hear you. Tell me about it. Fill my cup. But I might not give you a thumbs up on this one. But the goal here, this is again, isn't just about prayer. It's about, it's about what we do with our jealousy. And here's the point. God still wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. And you can go to God and you can tell him that you are angry at him. You can say, God, you owe me. I will tell you this. The longer that you are in a relationship with God and you're working on that, the more you'll realize, and this is not me stepping on your toes. This is just me telling you what I've realized. The more you'll realize how crazy that sounds. God, you owe me. I owe everything to God. And he has given me what I have. And, and there are areas in my life where like, man, I would like to have this, do that, be this, whatever. But God's like, look, man, you've been created for purpose. And you're in this spot. And, and, and you, my goal for you isn't that you always be happy. <laughs> my goal is that you be holy. 
So in that space, whatever it is, how can you build my kingdom there? That's what I want to know. That's what God's asking us. You want a pony? That's cute. Listen, okay, when you go to work tomorrow, um, you know, your coworker's having a hard time. Could you be nice to her? But I want a pony. That's sweet. That's cute. That's really nice. Not that he'll be short with us. I mean, maybe he is. I think he's pretty short with some people sometimes. So what do we do about it? Um, there's been a prescription every week for, like, how we can deal with this. Anger was forgiveness, and what guilt was uh, confession. This one's a little bit different, and it's going to take maybe a little more practice. But actually, you're already good at it. You do it in some areas of your life. So you can actually do it in this area of your life, too. Um, this is it. That when it comes to jealousy, especially against other people, we need to learn to celebrate others. That's it. Celebrate others. Celebrate other people. Jealousy is a heart that's focused on me. What I want or what I don't have or what I do have or jealousy says I want to be happy. Me, 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 me. But that's not the Jesus way. That's not what God calls us to. God says you need to live a life that's focused on others. And so even when I look at them and legitimately, like, I'm mad at them because they have all this stuff and they don't even, like, seem to work for it. Ah! Well, that's their story. But there's no reason to fill up your cup and be sloshing on everybody else about it. Instead, you can look at their life and say, what can I celebrate about them? What can I be happy for for them? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is in the book of Romans, and he's writing this letter. This is in chapter 12, and we actually looked at chapter 12 a couple weeks ago when we talked about being transformed. So this is very fitting, the context of Romans 12. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your heart. That's what chapter, like, verses 1 and 2 say. And then when you get down to verse 9, he's continuing to go on to the ways that this transformation shapes us. And specifically, it talks about how we deal with other people. Look at verse 9. Uh, this is Romans 12, starting verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. So hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, in prayer and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We'll stop there real quick, but there's a lot, there's a lot of different things in there talking about other people. Hospitality and sharing with people and uh, honoring other people above yourself. And th this first half seems to be like talking about people that I'm cool with. Like these are the people that I get along with, you know, and I'm happy with them. And so it's easy to be joyful and patient with them. It's easy to do that. But verse 14 throws this little bomb in on us. He says, and bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Time out right there. I mean, just think about the number of people in your life that just... I mean, they might be flying a flag in their front yard that you can't stand. They might be wearing a T-shirt that gets on your nerves. They might, like, stand up for a, for, a, uh, for a cause that you're not for. They might pull for a football team that you don't like. Like, whatever it is. And, like, our instinct is to go into this us and them mentality, this winner-loser mentality, this competition mode. And Jesus doesn't limit this to people that we like and agree with. He's talking about... People who persecute us. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so this is like the whole spectrum of people. And then verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That sounds a lot like our prescription. Celebrate other people. Like even if they're going through hard times, even if they're going through good times, how can I get on their page and be on their emotional level and like try to serve them where they are? Verse 16. So live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud 
but be willing to associate with people of low position. Did not be conceited. And then might, that last one might step into another category of people that you kind of don't spend time with. People that you view as below you. They live in a certain neighborhood. They dress a certain way. They act a certain way. And you're kind of like, I just don't. I just don't really. And stop it. We've got to learn to celebrate other people. And this is a prescription for jealousy. I think it's a prescription for loving. We don't have to celebrate their sin. We don't have to celebrate uh, the things that they do that might be opposed to even values that we have. <laughs> you, don't have you don't have to celebrate all of their things the same way that they celebrate them. But, but it shifts your heart. It's that transformation piece. The reason I said this is going to be easy and hard is because we're good at celebrating. We're really good at it. You celebrated with people uh, that you weren't on page with, and, and I'm going to tell you how you do it. You fake it till you make it. You ever do that? Yeah, and so that's the question. Like, do, so what if I don't really, what if I really am not, I can't be happy for them? I, I don't know. Deal with it. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know that fake it till you make it is the best plan, but I do think that once we start, when we start practicing steps, we get muscle memory for those steps. So you don't have to celebrate everything that they're doing, especially if it's a sinful thing that you just are like, this is not good for you, but how do I come alongside you and build you up? Be your brother, be your sister, be your friend. Um, go out of your way to celebrate other people. Jealousy is a hard thing to wrestle with because it can be so, like, under the surface. And it only pops up when we least expect it. I don't think that a lot of times, I mean, you might have someone that you just stew over a lot. So that's definitely one that you, you already know. But it becomes the practice, the practice of celebrating others, the practice of loving others, the practice of putting other people first, the practice of pouring out all my dissatisfaction into the cup that God has so I'm not sloshing on other people. I never got that big stack of video games. <laughs> never got it. Never got We did get Mario 3. That's all-time great. Okay, that's one of the greatest video games ever made. Super Mario Bros. 3, okay? But didn't get the gold Zelda. But you know what? If I had, I'd be giving it away for free today. <laughs> the biggest perspective on jealousy, I think, when it comes to, like, uh, how, like, things of this world can't fill us, is that the things that we often fight for are the things that are just going to fade away in time. They're not lasting. Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal, Right? And so the things, often, if we can get a perspective check on the things that we really, 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 really want, and we ask ourselves, what if I had gotten those video games? Well, then the Super Nintendo came out. And then the Sega. And then who's these Xbox 5000s that are going to be out next year? Like, whatever. Like, it's going to be a new thing. It's always going to be a new thing. Those things never have the power to fill you. They never have the power to satisfy you. So take it to your father. Celebrate other people. And learn to live and walk in love. And I will take that over a stack of video games any day. Because the biggest gift that God gave us is that he put us first. I want to just close with a reminder of what it means to live for Jesus and invite you to be part of this if you don't already. Like the invitation is this. God loved the world so much. The God who made us and the God who allows the world to be unfair. That God he loved us so much that he looked down into our brokenness and our shame and our dissatisfaction and he said, I can do better. I can reconnect your soul to your creator. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to lower myself, take the form of a human, and give my life as a sacrifice for you.
That's, that's the story of Jesus. And we're told that as we accept that message, we're accepted into his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Have you ever made that decision? Have you made the decision to live for Jesus with your life? Was it a long time ago? You were at a vacation Bible school at your grandma's house. You were nine years old. Sweet. Maybe it's time to re-up that subscription with God and say, okay, I, I hear you, Lord. I want you in my life. Have you never done it? Have you been in a broken season for a while? And you're like, I just need to, I need to realize I am not focused on God with my life right now. This is what you can do with that. Change it today. <laughs> Take it to his cup, dump it in. And scripture teaches that when someone makes that decision, we see every, every conversion we see in the Bible is like immediately followed by a baptism. So you go into this moment, like this ceremony with God, where you are laid into a grave. Carly talked about Lazarus earlier. But she said, you know, for God to use us, we have to be willing to be dead so he can raise us. And so there's this, there's this picture of baptism. It's like you, you, you let your old self be dead. And then he raises you to walk in newness of life. And it's so much better than all the stacks of video games in the world. Let me just have a prayer for us today. Let's pray.